What's up, everyone? Welcome to a conversation with Joshua T. Bergman and Andrew Shaikowski. I may have pronounced the last name a little bit incorrectly. I do apologize, but that is not to take away from just how awesome, powerful this message is. This is a beautiful conversation, and it's something that I think may bring or inspire Healy for a lot of you. This is a conversation unlike I've ever had in my life done a lot of very powerful interviews over the years, and I've been very blessed to be a part of them. This one, this one stands on its own. It's truly remarkable. It's truly special. And without running any of the subject matter that's not already run in the subject matter or in the description of what this episode is, I just want to encourage you to listen with open heart and an open mind and know that everything that's said here is set of love. So, please, enjoy. And thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for being here. God bless you. Ladies and gentlemen, I am so excited to welcome Andrew Shaikowski. That's it. I said it right. Good. I'm so happy about this. Ladies and gentlemen, this is going to be an awesome broadcast. As I already told you in the intro, a little bit of background, but we're going to get into it right now. This is going to be awesome, but brace yourselves, because you may hear some things that could and feathers, but that's good because I'll tell you one thing. If your faith can't be challenged, how big is your faith anyway? So I recommend highly that you have an open heart with this conversation. And, but at the same time, I believe that this is going to be awesome. It's going to be enlightening. And at the same time, I think it's going to probably help answer some questions that you've had. And so without further ado, Andrew, I am so blessed to have you here. I'm so excited that you actually responded to my email when I reached out to you, because I got to tell you, I reach out to a lot of pastors and they want nothing to do with me, which sucks because I've shared that faith for a while now and to not be able to have these honest, heartfelt questions has been a real bother. So the fact that you responded and you responded with a very powerful, bold truth of your own, you earn my respect from the get or from the jump. So I, I just want to say thank you so much for being here. Thank you for honoring me with your time. And the very only planned question I have for you is what you're grateful for today and why. I was going to say one thing, but after your introduction, I just have to acknowledge that was very flattering. And I don't think of myself as particularly important. So the fact that you wrote to me, it seems like just courtesy out of a human being to respond, even if I wasn't interested in doing your broadcast. That's cool. Yeah. Anyways, mostly I think I'm grateful that I have decent health. I'm 57 and I'm very mobile and I've been very health conscious most of my life. And so I try to eat well and exercise and all that. And because if something is off in your health, life really just starts to plummet very quickly. And I don't know how old you are, but you're obviously probably closer to my age than say 25. Eyesight starts to fail and you wake up in the morning and there's soreness. It's just like you look in the mirror and go, man, like, the chicks are not checking me out anymore. So I think being able to be able to move about and live freely, and actually that's going to be probably a good segue into our discussion because free will to me is, to me, that's the most God-given gift of all, is the fact that a human being has choice. And I think one of the reasons that we've connected is because I was pursuing a very intense Christian mystical path. And much like yourself, traditional, what I would call Bible-type pastors, were always a little bit nervous about mystical people who identified as mystical. And I did some volunteer work for years. I worked for this company, or not work, but I volunteered for Prison Fellowship, which is a nationwide company that goes into prisons and stuff. And I've always had this draw towards wanting to counsel and assist prisoners, probably because, get it, right? because of the lack of freedom. There's something about my heart that goes, man, these guys are always under an oppressed environment. And if I can help them reach a place in their consciousness where they don't have to come back to prison, that was very inspiring to me. And I would work side by side with Methodists and Catholics and Presbyterian and Baptist ministers. And I had to be somewhat conscious and a little cautious about how I spoke about the Bible and about Jesus because people would be like, that's not actually what it means, or that's not true. And I never wanted to get into too many of those discussions because it didn't usually go well. And that's actually what the Bible, from my understanding of what I've read, it says we're not to be fighting and arguing over scripture's interpretation, yet 
We see the world's biggest pastors arguing all the time and calling each other false prophets. And I got to tell you, that doesn't make me want to learn more about Jesus at all, seeing that. So I admire the fact that you had the grace to not jump in the, that fight. You jump in a couple of times because somebody, you know, goes, but you realize you're wrong or something like that. Yeah. And you don't want to just sit there and go, you're right. You want to. So I developed over the time ways of saying, I'm not sure I agree with that. I can understand why you see it that way and it makes sense. Just finding smoother ways to get out of conversations that it's like they say you shouldn't bring up religion or politics like at a family dinner. It's the same thing with a lot of Christian folks. It's just, this is how it is. You can't talk the Bible with other believers. It is kind of odd, right? It's an interesting aspect of humanity to me where, and I think I hinted at this when I wrote to you in my email, I do think I've come to a state of recognizing that I don't really know much beyond what I believe and some of the experiences I've had. But even in the mystical tradition where you are taught to believe things because you had an experience, right? But these experiences known as spiritual experiences, they're very subjective. So you may, somebody, I mean, you've probably met people who said, I felt Jesus came into my heart and he spoke these words to me. Yeah. So, yeah. And then if you want to say, how do you know it's Jesus? They go, I just know. And the thing is, that's great. I'm not saying it is Jesus or it isn't Jesus, but I'm, I am saying I don't know if it's Jesus. And also, if it works for you, great. But if I say it's, if it works for you, they get very angry because it's implicit that I'm condescending to them as though they've made something up in order to feel better about themselves. But they're trying to go, no, this is Jesus, the Jesus who was crucified. He's the one talking to me. And I go, great. Like, I don't necessarily have that experience. And I don't necessarily know if that's the way. But I want to live, I want to have, I want people to have the free will to go, this is what I'm pursuing. Because I pursued Christian mysticism with all my heart for 17 years. Now, there were always things that I said that this is what I was taught. Do I know this to be true? For example, when you die, certain people are just like, it's absolutely 100% certain in my mind, you either go to heaven or you go to hell. And I'm just like, I don't know. I don't know if that's true. Maybe there's gradations of that. Maybe there is no hell. Maybe there is no heaven. Maybe when you die, there's a continuation of life, but in a different environment. And I wanted to know so badly, but yeah. without dying, how can you really know? Now, there's a lot of people who have had these near-death experiences. So they there's certain consistency, but it's funny how Almost anybody who identifies as a Christian who has a near-death experience, their, their experience is defined by meaning of Jesus or beings of light or sense that some higher being. I don't know if the Muslims and the Jewish people and the Hindi, Hindus and the atheists and the Buddhists would say the same thing. I think people have experiences that are, are somewhat defined by what they believe. And I don't think that's a problem. I don't, I'm not trying to be condescending. No, I understand. I, Even Billy Graham, who everyone considers, or not everyone, but a lot of people consider the world's greatest evangelist. He yeah. was asked a question in front of Robert Patterson, I think his name is. There's a giant crystal church. Okay. More. But he, on live in a sermon, I watched this, and they asked him a question about, do you have to believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior to go to heaven? And they clearly said no. They said that Hindus and Muslims, if they had a heart for God and they love God with all their heart, that they go to heaven too. That's a very different message than what is normally preached from the pulpit. Now, there's other video of him saying that you need to accept Jesus in your heart and all that stuff. But plenty times on record in interviews, Billy Graham said, you don't need to be a Christian to go to heaven. That's confusing, is it not? Yeah. He was always somebody that I thought was very genuine in his seeking. I believe that too. I really yeah. do. I think he was humble enough to go. I just think anybody pronouncing anything with such definitive confidence, I have to, how do you know? Like just because somebody wrote a book and it's called the Bible and there are people in the world who go, that is the word of God. Like you can't tell me anything else. And I don't want to try to tell them something else. You know, for sure, that's the word of God just because you have a feeling or because somebody who you respected told you that I was like somebody like that who believed when somebody told me something and I felt that they had the consciousness of somebody who was more evolved and they told yeah. me something and I was like I'll take that truth and I'll run with it 
because it did give me some stability. It gave me a foundation from which to continue my journey. You reach a point where you start to go, I don't need that person's word on it anymore. I just really want to examine, is this thing hold up for me? And I think I, I told you in the email when I wrote to you, it's like one of the classics is Jesus says in the Bible, anything you ask in my name, it shall be granted. But the reality is that's just not true. Not true at all. In right. fact, like, but there's a whole sentence or two that was removed to in front of that statement. Okay. Because if you read the full text, it also talks about, you have to believe, I'm paraphrasing here a little bit, but yeah. you have to believe with your whole heart, mind, and soul. Like, it's not just you ask, you have to believe it as if you know it's already happened, which is very similar to, and not to go weird and go completely left and go a law of attraction, stuff like that. But essentially that's teaching the same thing. Yeah. It, that's what that is. It's really teaching you about manifestation. So in other words, you're feeling it with your whole body, your heart, your soul, and all of your energy is going towards believing without a shadow of a doubt that I can move yeah. that up or I'm gonna ask and get what I want. Never move that out of the Bible. And so there's that, and, and even the books that were removed out of the Bible, the Gospel of Thomas, which some say or not, is not an anointed work. Who said it's not anointed? Who made that decision for me? Because when I read that book, it lights up my spirit. But it also tells me very much so and very clearly to me in my heart that Christ is every bit as much inside of me and God is every bit as much inside of me as he is everywhere else. And I think that with Christian, with religious or religions as a whole, we put God up high on a mountain somewhere or else in the sky and not and forget the part that he's inside of us as well. Because I believe with all my heart that we would do more loving things for ourselves and treat each other better if we started to recognize that you have God inside of you too. I'm not saying you're God, but God is inside of you. You wouldn't be breathing without him. So he is inside of you in Christ. I'm starting to believe, and I, this is where I'm at, and I don't know this for sure, but they don't even know the authors of the Gospels. Like, they, people think it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and some people think it's Paul. No, they don't know who the writers are. And they don't even know for sure that Paul even wrote everything that he's claimed to write. But that said, even he says Christ is inside of him. So, like, like some point, with all this that's going on, it feels like the Bible was given to us that if you try to read it literally, it's gonna have you really confused. If you try to read it like a metaphor, it's gonna have you confused. Like it seems like we need an instruction book to know how to read the Bible because each part of the Bible is so completely different. I'm starting to believe that the Bible is more metaphysical than it is anything. In other words, it's a guide to show you how to live correctly and live in the way to be able to access the kingdom of heaven and the way it teaches you is following Jesus's teachings to be able to access this. And ironically, all the other major religions of the world teach something very similar. It almost seems like religion is this man-made creation meant to keep us from the truth, but give us enough of it that we want more. Is that more off? Okay, I don't know. Again, I start every sentence with, I don't know. But my opinion is that religion, if you study the Latin, the two words that make up the re, which is to return to, and the legion from the Latin verb, I think the ere, which is to bind. So the purpose of religion, if you just look at the word, is to bring people together. And I think that's a very positive thing. But, yeah, to your point though, I think that when people get a sense of a religious concept and they come together on it, most people are fine to go, that's it. I don't want to know more. I don't want to continue to seek. I don't want you to burst this bubble. Like one of the teachers I had on the mystical path, he's like, when you're ready to progress to the next level of consciousness, his wording, not mine, was you have to hate the step you're on. In other words, you have to despise where you're at in order to make the leap to where you're going. Because if you get attached to where you're at, you'll resist the new truth that's coming in because it's uncomfortable. That's what happened reading Genesis 6. What started me down this path? Reading Genesis 6, and all of a sudden, I've been dreaming about this for a long time, yeah. but Genesis 6, all of a sudden, the brain is the Garden of Eden. I'm like, what? The brain is the Garden of Eden. And I'm like, what are you reading? Okay, that's weird. I kept reading, go back to it, brain is just getting louder. 
So I decided to start researching it. Come to find out, there's a lot of research that points to not only the possibilities, but the likelihood that the Garden of Eden is actually the brain. And when I went down that journey, all of a sudden, all these other things started to pop up. I started reading the Bible through new eyes, and I just, it didn't challenge my faith. In fact, it probably made my faith stronger because all these questions and battles and struggles I had, like, Women not being allowed to be preachers. Why? Because Paul said that? Screw Paul. No offense to Paul, but who gave him that authority because he was inspired by God to say it? Like, it seems weird because some of the most powerful people I know on the planet are women. And their most powerful speakers, most powerful teachers are women. So to go, they can't preach? Seems off to me. Like, it's bothered me. And then started reading the word in the history of homosexuality and that word being in the Bible. Now I've battled my sexuality most of my life. You can blame it on being molested or I can blame it on being molested. But the truth is I think I was before I was molested. All the times that I was molested. I don't know if that really had anything to do with it. But the thing that I caused so much hell on earth with when I lived a very reckless evil life was when I was running for myself and feeling all the shame, the guilt and everything else and the confusion. Bible says I'm an abomination. What the hell am I going to do? This is scary. Like, I, I don't know what to do. And so even when I gave my life to the Lord and I had a dramatic Holy Spirit experience when I was in jail, I still can't explain it. I wish I could, but the thing that's kept my faith so solid is that experience was so supernatural that it, I can't argue against it. And it's been the very thing that has allowed me to rehabilitate my life is this journey I've been on with God. But the closer I get to the Lord and faithfully serving and completely dedicated, all I did was serve. That's it. It didn't work. Didn't ask for money, nothing. I just served and just spent time with God. And the closer I got to God, the more I got to know myself and the more I got to realize, you know what? I'm okay with my sexuality. I know the Bible says that the homosexuals are abomination. I'm only half of an abomination, but whatever. Like, I feel closer to God when I'm allowing myself just to be me. Yes, I know right from wrong. Yes, I know my body's a temple, but I don't understand. Like, I, I'm like, it was slowing my spiritual development by fighting myself and denying myself. Not, I'm not saying acting on it, but just like not accepting myself for who I am. Yeah. And because of that, I could never get to as close to God as I wanted to be. And I finally just said, you know what? Screw it. I'm, I'm done trying to resist this. I'm happily married. I love my wife. We have a great marriage. She knows about me. So I'm just going to be me and God. I'm going to have honest conversations about where I'm at. And I'm just going to act as if this is who I am. And then you correct me. You tell me where I'm wrong. You convict me where I'm wrong. All I can tell you is this. I don't act on my sexual desires or do things like that, but I will tell you that I'm openly and happily with my sexuality. And I won't define it because it's not, I don't believe in boxes in the same way I don't want to be called a Christian. That said, when I started researching because I could not find peace over this because I was watching people bash homosexuals and protest outside of events and things like that. And mind you, drag queen story hour needs to be protest against. But that said, I saw a lot of people hurting and suffering. I know people that killed themselves because of their shame of being bisexual or some other sexuality. I've seen it firsthand. I've been, when I was in the shadow world, I hooked up with more preachers and pastors and worship leaders and people of the church that were all living in secret. So this was bothering me and I needed to know the truth. Why well, started doing research into the word homosexual? Not even a word until 150 years ago. And yet the Bible and churches have weaponized it against other people. The word that was originally there was basically baby rapers, boy rapers. Nothing to do with being homosexual. I'm not condoning people going out and being slutty. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that's right because our body is still a temple. And yes, we can sin against our body. And all that, I believe all of that. But I do find it to be really screwed up how the Bible has been used to promote slavery or endorse it or condone it. And also to hurt other people regarding their sexuality. That is what stirred up a lot in me and just turkey and start looking for truth. And I still don't know the whole truth. I don't have the whole truth, but I'm starting to have at least peace. And I'm starting to recognize that the only thing God can work with truly is truth. And he gives us the grace to be able to walk out what we believe is true for him to correct us. 
But what happens if we start walking and we realize, wait a second, this is me. And God still loves me. My fruit is still right. So something's wrong. And this is the experiment that I had to do on myself was to walk out my own truth. And the longer I walk, the closer I get to the Lord, but the more I start to accept the fact that I like men and I like women. And I don't feel like God doesn't like me because of that. Am I wrong there? Oh, I don't think so. I've known many homosexual people and I don't know why the whole world is turned against homosexuality. Maybe it's just an uncomfortable if you're not homosexual. It's uncomfortable if you think about a man thinking about you in a certain way. But I think sexuality is one of the most complex and un not understood aspect of humanity. Yeah. So that even people who don't identify as gay or bisexual may at sometimes look at somebody of the same sex and go, am I weird? That person looks pretty good. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I want to kiss them or I want to touch them, but most of the gay people that I know and have been friends with, they wish they weren't gay because it's such a tortured life. So it's not like they're, oh, these ideas, you should go to some Christian reform camp that's going to cure your homosexuality. It's just, it's stupid actually. It's it really is. stupid. It yeah, is. because people don't necessarily want to be different like that, but who knows why we have that? Who knows why that's an aspect of humanity? If you just go, well, sex is for procreation, therefore homosexuality is a sin. That's a very thin argument, really. I just don't think there's elements of life that are that simple. Homosexuality is a real aspect, even if you don't use that word because the word has a bad connotation. Being attracted to being sexual with people of the same sex. I don't permit, permit sorry, I don't promote promiscuity and, and a lot of sexual partners just for your own personal gratification. Because I don't think it's good for society in general. Great. As everybody at times tempted to go, man, I don't really connect with that person intellectually, but holy crap, I'd like to. When I was younger, <laughs> yeah, we, we all have that. When we get to be in our 50s, you don't really have those options to the same degree you might have had when you were young with full hair. <laughs> but at the same time, I understand that it's not good for society, just like pornography is not good for society. Because it, whether you're religious or not, it objectifies the person. It's like you're having sex with somebody, you don't give a crap about them at all. And I just don't think that's good for society. No, that's the thing. That was the weirdest part when I came to this piece of, okay, God still loves me because I like men and women. Okay, she still loves me, this is cool. But where the conviction came in is all the other stuff. Be like, in other words, lust. Like even in the way of looking or even okay, the way that I was even trying to figure out or come to peace with, Am I bisexual or not? Or what is the deal? I got convicted in a different way, but also solidified my belief in their soul ties. And so I'm thinking about, okay, who do I want to match my energy with? And okay, I'm glad I have my wife, but even the thought of going out and exploring, if I was to do that, and I've already explored, I don't need to do that. I just needed to come to peace with myself. I still very much recognize the dangers in sinning against your body. And I do recognize what sexual sin is. I, I don't necessarily believe the whole thing that we've been taught in church, but I also believe that we're not just supposed to just go spread it around and jumping in and out of beds and doing things like that, because in the end, that's selfish. In the end, that could be an addiction. That could be you're trying to run from something. You can use all of these things that are good and beautiful, and they can turn ugly quick, really good. So we have to be cautious of that. And so one of the things that I love and appreciate about being brought, not brought up. I rejected the church when I was brought up and it was a part of a church. And I was in that and I was calling myself a follower of Christ and so forth. The rules and the parameters and the learning of obedience was the greatest tool that I've ever learned because with that I've learned about, I've learned how to listen to the spirit inside. I've learned to trust intuition and when to I've learned to trust my discernment from that, from operating in those parameters. But I also believe with all my heart that it's not as black and white as some people make it. And that's where we see the infighting amongst believers and we see the contradictions. There's a book that lists every contradiction of the Bible and there's 50,000 of them. And I went through a hundred of them and like with the Bible verses and everything, and I'm going, my God, that's a lot. If it was 10 or five, it would be a lot. But there's 50,000. So there's something wrong with this. But at the same time, I feel like I've learned to appreciate the Bible in a whole new way. 
because I'm reading it through the lens almost as if it's a metaphysical book and it's speaking to the God inside of us and these stories that we're reading in the Bible are like everyone's hero's journey. Because every story, even though everyone didn't get crucified on the cross, everyone's story in the Bible that's highlighted is a hero's journey. They have their own cross to bear. They have their own dying and then rebirth of sorts. So I'm starting to see it and align with it as a metaphysical book and a very powerful book of wisdom. But to use it as a weapon against anybody, I've really become against that. And in the mystical tradition that especially the gospels are like a roadmap to achieving the Christ consciousness. Yes. And if like one of the classics, the parables are often in a more traditional biblical interpretation. The, for example, the parable of the 10 talents, right? So that's the one where you get two of the people who receive some talents or some financial gain, and then they do the right thing. And when the master comes back, they say, look, I multiplied the talents. And they're like, great, you get to come in. The, the metaphor is you get to come into heaven and you're a good servant. And the one who went, I didn't really trust you, you're nasty, so I buried the talent and here it is, take it back, I want to do with you. And then the master goes, well, bind that one up and throw him into the nether region, right? So in the traditional, it's, I don't want to be that guy. So that guy obviously is going to hell. But in the mystical tradition, you recognize that you have both parts acting within you. If you're really honest, there's part of you that really wants to do good and be a good contributor. And part of you that is, I'm really going to follow. And that's the one that does 10 times. And then the other one is, I'm trying really hard, but I'm a little distracted, but I'm still doing good. And then there's another part, if you go deep within, that goes, you know what, screw you for telling me what I'm supposed to do. I don't want anything to do with you. Every, I think everybody has an aspect of themselves in that. And when the master wants to bind that part and throw that, discard it out, that's a positive thing. It's we don't want that part of us working within that's slowing our progress. Yeah. But if you follow the traditional, so you better hope you're not the last guy. It's like we all have the last guy and there's so many of the parables that have that way to interpret it, where you recognize these are all parts of myself that are in conflict, sometimes in harmony, trying to reach this higher state of consciousness. If you don't have somebody who can help you interpret it, if you don't have a meditation practice whereby you can calm your own judgmental, prideful thinking, going, oh, I know what this means, this has to mean this, somebody told me it means this, that's the only interpretation. The Bible is the living word, which means it changes as I think it changes as you grow in consciousness. You can look at it kind of like what you were talking about, the mind or the brain being the Garden of Eden. Maybe when you're 25, you can't conceive of such a line of thought. But all of a sudden to come into it in a later stage in life and go, holy crap, that's so intense. That makes so much more sense. And then everything expands from there, from that one premise. It's so true. And that's another thing too. It's like, it set me back. Cause I was all, I was really up in that. You're a false prophet, you're a false prophet. And then all of a sudden I'm going, wait a second. I've been a false prophet. And in the, in the cause of, I was teaching what I was taught. I was teaching interpretation off of interpretation I got from someone else. Instead of it being true to me, this is what God showed me or what my subconscious showed me or what's somebody inside of me showed me or revealed to me when I was reading the Bible. And you're right about the living word because it does change so much. I've never seen a book change. I'm not even talking about man changing it. I'm just saying the same Bible I've had in my house for years, it changes from time to time. And it's really strange how that works. And at the same time, because I believe that the Holy Spirit can give the Bible and the Holy Spirit gives you revelation. But at the same time, I believe that the Holy Spirit can give revelation in any book. I don't think it needs just to be the Bible for that because we think about it. What else is discernment? Isn't that the same thing? When you're being shown truth or you're given wisdom, it's the same thing, is it not? Yeah, I, don't, I mean, I don't think you have to study the Bible in order to reach Christ consciousness. But I, I, I think it's a shortcut because it does provide a lot of really deep, wise teaching that if you just try to figure out on your own, it's, it's going to take you a lot longer. So I can appreciate that too. I have a, it's interesting too, because this new, I guess not, it's not a new path. It's the same path. It just with new revelation. 
I've actually liked the Bible more now than I did before. And I don't, I can't explain it. Like I feel closer to God now, even though I'm further away from religion or Christianity than I've ever been. And I don't really understand it. I'm still like filling myself on this and trying, it's almost like getting sea legs. That's what I feel like I just came off of a boat that's been swaying for the last several years. And now I'm trying to walk going, my faith is strong, but as far as where I'm gonna put my feet and what's stable, I'm not really sure. And especially living in a world that's filled with lies and deception and manipulation and propaganda and everything else. It's, I've been lied to about these things. What else have I been lied to? So I've gotten to this point where the only thing that I know for sure is true for me is what I feel inside. Yeah. And at the same time, I still made me wrong about that too. But I feel a lot safer trusting this than I do anything that comes out of man's mind. Here you're hitting on my greatest heartbreak on the earth is that truth is not valued and loved by everyone. If you get it and you want it, it's a beautiful thing. But if you try to live and expect people to be truthful with you, it's a very painful life. And there's so many things that happen on the earth that just make you sad, or make me sad because even just this whole Russian, Russia occupying another country. It's, dude, it's not your country. Just leave these people alone. Stop killing them. And you can't communicate these concepts of love to people who have this idea in their mind that this is how it's supposed to be. I'm supposed to do these things. I'm being driven or being guided by God to do these things because God wants this and wants that. If they violate the basic principle of live and let live, and give people the free will to live as they wish to, then there's no way God is dictating that you go and do that. And just on a day-to-day -day level, people do not, are not honest. And then maybe it's because it's uncomfortable to be honest, to go, this didn't work out because we don't like you or we didn't think you had to. <laughs> they, they wanna make it something that doesn't offend me. And yet the very lack of truth is that which offends me. Yeah, sometimes the truth can sting because it's like, you realize you're not all you thought you were and other people are like bothered by you or you're not as great as you think you are. And so somebody enlightens you on that. It can be painful, it can hurt. But the teachers that I had were like, you can either react from your ego and become defensive and sulky and whoopy, or you can go, what in what that person said is true and can I integrate that even though it stings? Can I integrate that and try to make an adjustment? And in the end, I've always wanted to make the adjustment because I want to see what happens if I become a better version of myself, as opposed to get stuck and go, they're wrong and that's not true. And they're not Christian, so they wouldn't even know truth if it hit them. It's like, even the most atheist people can say things that are very profound. True. And God can use anybody in anything. Yeah, a Christian host body to to do what he wants to be. I've had, I would contend that some of the hookers and prostitutes that I used to hang out with and do drugs with, as crazy as this may sound, in a way that they were doing God's work. Because if I didn't have a place to go, this sounds really wild, I'm sure. But they were a safe place for me for a long time when I was scared, I didn't know what to do, didn't know who I was, didn't know my identity. I lived pretty, crazy life and, and full of trauma and everything else, but most of it was self-inflicted. But I've had a lot of random people that we could be considered evil. Like I've, I've, I've experienced God work through them in ways that kept me alive. And so I find that to be awesome too. I have a question because you brought up consciousness at the very beginning. Yeah. And I, is in that it reminded me of this i've had the same gifting my whole life i you used say to what for evil and i'm good at it like my gifting is the gifting is unique mine is i love it <laughs> i'm so blessed to have it but i remember when i used to use it for all the wrong reasons of course i didn't know what i was doing at the time but i recognize now that it's the same thing i just get to do it for good now Okay. And then I start, then I have questions about, okay, the Holy Spirit, 
So when I had that experience with the Holy Spirit, when I'm, I mean, at first I was cursing out God because I was so angry about why he wouldn't fix me, why he wouldn't change me. And I, when I heard the audible voice of God in my head for the first time, it was, you have to forgive your father. My response, how am I supposed to do that? And I heard, because it happened to him too. And that set off a series of events that led me to crying out for God, saying, I'm done running. I know what you called me to do. I know what I'm supposed to do. Take my life, it's yours. My life is no longer my own. I'm all in to serve. And I had this traumatic experience with the Holy Spirit. For the life of me, I can't explain it like what it was if it wasn't the Holy Spirit. But the thing is, looking back at it, all those years of evil that I just assumed that I'm full of evil spirits and demons and everything else. The name of our book is The Devil Inside Me because I do a lot of evil things. And I know whatever was coming after me was demons. So here's what I'm getting at. I still had the same thing in my stomach going, you don't want to do that. You really want to stay away from that person. No, you really don't want to do that drug. You don't want to go there. You don't want to do all those things. But then my head would take over and I'm like, I'm being pulled in a different way. But looking back at it, I'm going, is the Holy Spirit really any different than the other the spirit that I'm born with? It's just being fed the right stuff, so now it's holy? Or do I have that all wrong too? I haven't been able to answer this question, and it really bothers me. Do you know the difference? Is there a difference? The way that you're framing it and the way you're describing it is it's very clear. I'm not sure that I've seen that type of conflict play out in exactly the same way. It sounds like what you're saying is, I knew that these things were wrong. There was part of me that did not want to act on them. And, but then there was something that overrode that. And whether that was a spirit pulling me in this way or a spirit that wasn't strong enough in this direction or my conviction wasn't there, is that sort of the dilemma about what you're sharing with me? A way, yeah. That's, it's a minor way of putting it, but let's just go with that to simplify it. Because okay. in my head, it's way more complicated, but let's just go with that. Here's the thing that I have discovered with that is, and it's that's why all the movies are about the struggle of good and evil. Because within every human being, there's the draw, the temptation to pursue something that's going to provide a more immediate gratification, right? Whether it's taking a drug, visiting a prostitute, eating too much when you're trying to cut back, like we're no. gonna get some sort of pleasurable experience. And even if it's just a pleasurable experience of this sounds awful, but we can mostly relate to it. Oh, if I do this, I wanna see how it's gonna make this other person cringe. Yeah, that's a temptation within human beings to watch and enjoy gleefully the suffering of others. If that didn't exist, a lot of these movies would be just like shut off because people are like, I don't wanna watch this. I think that's a huge struggle. And that's why it's in all our entertainment is because the human is constantly trying to mitigate their temptation to act or allow that those negative impulses, those, I don't really call them evil. If you're gonna hurt somebody else, to me, that's more evil. If you're gonna go and do drugs, I don't know if I'd call that evil. It's probably not healthy for you, but there's a difference between going to cause harm to somebody else and then even I, degrees of vitamins. Yeah, I did all that too. I would okay. say, yeah, I hurt people. But I would say yeah. the greatest crime, why? You say that one. The greatest crime, I know I was a, I was a criminal abuser, a chem sex addict, there was all those things. But the worst thing I did was lie. Like by far, it was the worst thing I did because every lie needed another lie, another lie, lying to myself, not knowing what's real, lying to other people, making women that were in my life doubt their intuition. Like I believe that my lying and the things that I did, like I was robbing women of their gift. I was stealing from them because I was breaking them down. If they could try to catch me in the lie or think I was lying, I would do gaslight the crap out of them. So they, they would have no, they wouldn't think I was lying because I was so committed that I needed them in my life, they couldn't leave, I gotta keep them there. Even though I didn't really want them there because I wanted to live another life, but I wasn't confident enough in myself to live the life I wanted to live or even be honest about the life I wanted to live. Like and I you were not about bisexual. In your lying, I keep wanting to jump in, in your lying, while you were lying, 
you were very conscious of the hurt that it was causing them is what it sounds like you're saying, right? I don't know, no, not to the degree I am now, but I knew I was lying. But at the same time, I was trying to survive. I was trying to keep my alive. I said pretty, actually a lot, my double life that I was living had a double life because I was that bad of a liar and that miserable and that codependent that I would get in relationships I didn't want to be in, but it provide a cover of safety to allow me to have a double life. In that double life, I'd sneak off and do something even more dark and creepy. And that's, it was a 20 year cycle of my life that was like that. It was awful. It was awful, but again, it was lies and lies and lies. And, and it, man, the truth is so much easier. Here's what I've learned about truth. And here's, I think I said this before, it could have been the other interview I did, I don't even remember now. But the, like when I was in my shadow world, I was seeing a lot of people from the church and meeting people, different pastors and worship leaders and stuff like that, that were struggling with the same things that I was. And now being on the other side of this, where I've been able to be honest and basically put a spotlight on my entire shadow world. Now that I'm in the light with even the stuff that I struggle with or the things that may not be acceptable to the Christian world, like being able to be honest about that and just stand in my truth publicly has been the most freeing thing in the world. Like it is, this, this may sound ridiculous, but I live with no fear now at all because I'm not worried what people think of me. I know my relationship with God is my own. Other people don't have to like it, but it's mine and I feel good about it. And my fruit speaks for itself to all the telling signs are there. And but it all happened with truth. Truth, I believe, gets, gets us what we want. It brings us the people we really want in our lives because if we have a bunch of people in our lives and we're living a lie, those people aren't there for you because they don't even know who the hell you are. So if you're speaking your truth and it's an uncomfortable truth and you have people by your side, I would say that they're keepers. And that's another thing I never have to worry about. I don't have to look over my shoulder with the people that are in my life. They're there because they know who I am and they love me for who I am. That feels amazing and that feels way better when I was trying to be popular and fit in, but I was not letting anyone see who I am. Yeah, that makes sense. It's quite a journey, man. I, I, didn't, I had no idea that yeah, you've been through such a transformation. That's awesome. Thank you. What? Yeah, I think that it's funny because I'm a priest and a master teacher, though do I, I don't necessarily identify to the degree that I did, but I still, I'm happy to be a priest because it's, a, it's an element of love. I care deeply about people. And if you would come to me where you were in the thick of your dark period, there would be part of me that would be like, listen, you can't do those things. And another part of me is I understand that people do the things that make sense to them because they're trying to figure out a way to, to be alive and how to be okay. So there's a certain compassion for almost anybody who does things that, you know, but I'm also can be quite intense that if, you, if somebody's doing something that's hurting another person, the compassion is only going to go so far as you need to stop that. And it's, I don't think anybody has really figured this out. Let's say you've gotten to a point where you're no longer drawn to those kind of behaviors that you shared with me, even though you were didn't go into all the details, I get the idea. Yeah. And as well, I, there are certain, I may think certain things at times and it's contained within, and I wish I didn't think certain things, but after 40 years of trying to self-improve, I go, I don't know if I'm ever not going to be able to think certain negative things because people can be irritating, let's face it. But I don't, I'm not at risk of going out and doing things that later I would go, oh my God, like I really hurt another person because my consciousness has transformed and my conscience aspect of oneself that goes, if I hurt somebody, it hurts inside of me when I think about the anguish I've caused the other person. But to get to over that hump as you have, that takes a real a love of truth that it's just, it's hard to instill that love of truth in other people. It's like the amount of stubbornness and the pride in us as human beings and the attachment to this is how I want to live and you're not going to tell me otherwise. It comes back to what I said at the beginning of our talk, which is the free will is to me the most valued thing that a human being has. And when somebody tries to infringe upon that by imposing a religion or by imposing a set of rules, unless you value a set of rules will bring about a more positive outcome. 
it's almost impossible for that person to to receive it because their attachment to their own freedom is so huge. I don't know the answer to that, except you try to be, one tries to be an example of somebody. If you really live truth, which it sounds like you are, and that's what I'm trying to do, it is also isolating. I understand why certain people don't want to live truth because it's scary. And a lot of people don't like you because you're truthful. And because you won't tolerate a lack of truth in yourself, they feel uncomfortable when they realize there's certain hypocrisies in them. You're 100% right. I, I'm so happy. Oh man, I can think of all the things that I'm grateful for and what God has done for me, and like in the rehabilitation of my life. I mean, my my the kids that I neglected of are slowly. It's they're they're slowly taking shape to come back in my life, and I gave up my plans for adoption because I was in a really bad way. Of course, it got worse and. Now my oldest daughter is wanting to be back in my life, which I have a grandson and like, all oh, that's amazing. But then, cause I, that's, that would be the final healing that would take place is bringing my other children back. But I've been blessed to have a wonderfully happy marriage, an honest, authentic, beautiful marriage and friendship. And I've got two little girls that I adore me and I love like they were my own and that, that, that's what this has done for me. And it's been so wonderful. That's what truth has done for me. Like my wife knew about me before we got married and where I was at and the struggle. And she loved me anyway. And she's helped me heal. And she's worked with me to heal. And we have our family relationship with God and our independent relationships. And so grateful for all that. But it's the loving of truth that did it. Even for myself, like even if I'm feeling like I, I'm open about myself on the show, like I don't hide anything and I don't know secrets my book definitely my the book that we wrote made it very easy to not have secrets but I even felt with like my mom okay she's probably not watching all of my broadcasts so she doesn't know where I'm at currently right now and so I sent a very clear email to my family and and it was labeled 2023 and I just wrote a very sincere authentic email to my family and it wasn't coming out because it already told them I didn't get HIV from eating Cheerios, but I like just owned it. I owned the truth and I owned my challenges with the Bible and where I'm at with the Bible and where I'm at with my faith. And, and I shared all that because I felt like I wasn't being as transparent as I needed to be. But that's what I believe God can do. One of the things that God can do for us or is shift from being a chronic liar because that's the only thing I felt safe to do was lie. I was scared of my own shadow at that point in my life to now hating lies so much and needing truth in every sense of the word, not just for myself, but truth of the world and the truth of our history, the truth of the Bible, the truth of what we've been taught. Like I want to know because all I see and all I can witness with my eyes right now that plays out in this world is deception, manipulation, pain, judgment, racism, hatred, beliefs of religions and so forth. I've always, even when I gave my life to the Lord, I've struggled so hard with the notion that if you don't, if you don't accept Jesus into your heart, you cannot go to heaven because the most godly people I know are not even Christian. They're not Christian. They're Muslims. They're spiritual, but not religious. They're maybe even quote unquote, new age or Christ conscious or something else, or they're a Hindu. Like they represent to me a better Jesus than the people that have Jesus as their symbol of the faith. It's the strangest thing to me. I could never, it bothered me. I learned how to pray from a Muslim woman. Her dedication to prayer, she was, she's the woman that took me in when I was homeless. She was like 80 something years old. 80 80 year old Muslim from Afghanistan. Most loving, Christ-like person I've ever met in my life to this day. She's Muslim. It's the strangest thing. So I've had a hard time with this because I look at people and I'm drawn to their light. I'm drawn to their energy, to their love, not what they say. Does that make sense? Yeah. Whether somebody is a Muslim, I think the religion that you gravitate towards probably has a lot to do with the geography of where you were born and raised. It's true. If you're drawn to love, Maybe you're going to become a, a Sufi, the, the mystical side of Muslim, right? But you're going to be drawn to the truth. And 
you can meet great Buddhists and you can meet great atheists and agnostic people because I don't think that this is where Christianity's taken a beating is be like, how can you believe in Christianity where look at all these people and all their lives? Everywhere you go, there's hypocrisy. But it's like when you were saying earlier about the prostitutes and that they were moving the spirit. I do think every human being has the capacity to be a vehicle for love. It's just what is it that opens their heart? What is it that makes them want to give that love? And that's a mystery. I think every individual has different triggers that, that just, there are certain movies that I watch that just make me weep and other people are like, what, what's going on? I just don't know. It's just something about what that person said or how that person looked that just struck me in a way. It just, it opened my heart to, to feel something. When people have those moments, it's so refreshing and beautiful. It is. What movie makes you cry? Oh, seriously, I can cry watching an Allstate commercial sometimes. What lately? I can't, I don't know what, I, I'm trying to think of what, I, nothing comes to mind. I wish I had a list of them and I could share with you. No, it's fine. I just, lately I've been crying every time I see someone do something nice for someone. Like, exactly. If that stuff was on the news, I would probably watch TV again. It's, I, your love of truth is very inspiring. I feel the same way. Even though the truth can be hard and sometimes just trying to create the space for some, no, I want you to tell me the truth. Please give me the truth. And it's still very difficult for people to do. And it's, I accept that. I understand they're not being manipulative necessarily. They're just, they don't know how to deal with the aftermath of the possibility that it's going to create a conflict. Fair enough. But with people like yourself who love the truth, who want to promote it, who go, listen, in the end, you can relax because you're not hiding anything. You're not having to cover your bases on stuff, right? That's, if anything, that's amazing. And then if God wants to convict me of something that I, hey, I'm all for allowing it. Because I genuinely, with all my heart, regardless of whatever blasphemy I may have said today, and not intentionally, of course, I want to please my creator more than I do anybody else on the planet. Except for my own selfish desire sometimes. I have to, you know, calm down, wait. But, at the same time, like I am committed to that, to being everything and all that I was created to be. And you're right, it's uncomfortable. In the Gospel of Thomas, and actually one of the very first things that gets into, Jesus says, when you recognize the truth, when you learn the truth, you are going to be miserable. Like you're gonna be very uncomfortable. And then free. And I that's exactly where I've been. But today, like writing that letter to my family and this conversation, the conversation I had before, it's really been good because I've had so much anxiety about it because it's uncomfortable. And at the same time too, like I have a platform and the last thing I ever wanna do is lead anyone to pain or suffering or more misery or confusion. Like I just want people to have peace. And the other thing I really care about a lot is that we all step into the gifts and talents that we were born with. Like why we have a nonprofit media organization, why I teach media is because I know regardless of what you've done in your life, no matter like how bad it's been, no matter what your prison record is, no matter how many failures you've had before, if you learn media and it's not that hard, when you learn it, it's the vehicle to make all of your dreams come true. And when you are in living your dream life, and you're living in your purpose and you're operating your gifts and your talents, I don't believe you have time to be a racist, homophobe, jerk, jealous, greedy douchebag at all. Because you're too busy living in your truth and the joy that comes from doing the things that you love to do. There's nothing better. The very thing that has kept me going through this warding off and fighting off the chem sex desires because for me it wasn't just sex it's drugs and sex that is when i'm happy when i'm sad when i'm angry when i'm moody like that was the go-to now i don't need that anymore that broken past that and it's been the most wonderful thing but here's what helped i started doing something that fulfilled me i started feeding my own spirit with joy and love because what i was doing I loved it, enjoyed doing it. And by the way, I get to do it for other people. So it's not selfish, it's still serving, it's still blessing other people. And guess what? I've never felt closer to God because of that. And I have a reason to not go back to being a junkie.
I have a reason. I have something I care about more than drugs and sex. I've got a family and I have a purpose and that is worth living for. And that's all I want for people. But I believe with all my heart, you can't get there unless if you start living your truth, not your neighbors, not your mommy and daddies, not your pastors, your that is the way has to be. And I believe through that you develop an even stronger relationship with God. And there you're able to navigate life and the journeys and the hardships and so forth. That's what I'm starting to really believe and operate in. Yeah. Amen to that, man. That's awesome. Huge. I want to ask you something. What's the difference between a Christian mystic and a Christian? The mystic in general is seeking the internal experience of truth. Whereas I think the traditional Christian is reading the Bible. And of course, every Christian you meet is going to define themselves slightly differently. So I think it's a little unfair to try to lump everyone together. But just for the sake of our discussion, I don't think that the traditional, typical Christian has this hunger. Jesus said very clearly, the kingdom of heaven is within. You don't often hear sermons about at Baptist church or Methodist church or Presbyterian saying, let's look at this. What does it mean to go within? How do we go within? What are we going to find when we go within? But the Christian mystic is all about, it's all within. So I've got to develop the skills through meditation, through contemplation. I've got to develop the consciousness to be able to sit quietly so that the internal wisdom that lives within me can be revealed. And the Christian mystic is somebody who is basically using the Christian story and the symbolism of Christianity and the various, the doctrine and the initiations and whatnot to get to that place of truth. So the mystic, I think, is drawn more towards the truth, where I think as the traditional Christian is probably trying to live a good life so that when they get to the end of it, they have the best chance of getting to heaven or a good place, which for some people, that's all they're ever gonna do and that's fine. I wouldn't try to coerce them otherwise. But for people like yourself, myself, maybe your viewers, we want to know the truth. We have to have a process to get there. And the mystical provides that pathway where you develop the ability to connect with and discern the truth from the other cacophony of noises and lies that may be circulating around. That was a beautiful explanation. The very first time I heard of Christian mysticism was Erwin McManus. I forgot the name of his church in LA, but he has a book, The Way of the Warrior. He has a bunch of books. And I've always resonated with him, but I never actually knew what it meant. I mean, I've read all of his books and love them, and I like the way he teaches. So I, while I was going to church there, I didn't get a chance to ask him, but thank you for answering that because I genuinely never knew. And it almost seems like it's like I recognize, so I was the God outside of me focus for so long and now I've did to focusing on the God inside of me but also with recognition that God is in other people too yeah. and so really that's forced me and I don't know it's it I don't know force is the right word but brought out of me this change like it, it, I'm really more cognitive of how I treat other people and how I speak and being careful of what I say now because I'm starting to recognize that it's very possible that every word we speak is like a prayer. So we should watch. I know it's in the Bible about the tongue is that it can kill people, hurt people, whatever. I'm forgetting the words, but I'm, I recognize that. But I'm really trying to be more sensitive with how I look at people, trying to watch, like even see something I'm attracted to, not being drawn to it in a lustful way, because I'm trying to see others. God's in them too, is a radio lusted after God. Okay, never mind. I'm gonna calm that down. It's really helped me be more aware by focusing more of the God inside of me, Christ inside of me, and operating that way. I don't know what you think of that, but it's been an awesome shift for me because I notice that relationally I'm getting along with people better because my tendency is to be confrontational. <laughs> I love to mix it up. I love to argue. I love very healthy conversations. But at the same time, that can there's another side that, that can turn to being judgmental, me thinking I'm going to be coming to know it all, thinking I know everything. Like I, I want to avoid that. Like my ego can easily step in. So it's a very fine line to walk. But at the same time, 
I'm really happy to be in this place. I really relate to what you're saying, Joshua. I appreciate it. I think that you're, yeah, you're an inspiration. You're trying to, it feels to me like you found something and you just want to say, this is what I found, as opposed to you should or you shouldn't do that. What you talked about with seeing people in a certain way, more forgiving, more generous in heart. To me, that's a discipline because it can be just as easily you look at somebody and go, I don't like the way they did that. They're being too slow. They're being too aggressive. And we may be right. On one level, we might recognize those things. And I think that the discipline is how do, what do you choose to focus on, right? If this is the thing that kind of gives tells me about the American politics is if you were to run for politics and somebody dug up stuff that you did 25 years ago, there wouldn't be allowance for the fact that you transformed into something better. Like the current general population doesn't value the reality of transformation that I'm not that way anymore. Yes, when I was 17, I did a stupid thing. When I was 21, I broke the law, but at 45 or 50, does that mean I can't have change? And that's that to me is a direct correlation to the fact that people might be teaching this idea of forgiveness. In the Christian vernacular, we go to forgive is divine. But the reality is that people have not practiced the element of forgiveness to go, I understand you did that, you learned the lesson, and you've moved on from that. And that's a big problem in society. It's like society won't let you move on from who you used to be. In some cases, maybe people haven't moved on. But in a lot of cases, if you can hear the conviction in their tone and go, is it possible one day you wake up and you go, I'm sorry, I just got to go smoke some crack. Yeah, you may feel the temptation, right? I don't know. But do you act on it? And even if you do act on it, sometimes that's not the end of the world either. It's like, you can go, okay, I had a temptation, I acted on it, holy crap, I'm so past that. We've gotta leave room for people to transform and to grow. And if that consciousness of forgiveness is there, I think that in short order, we wouldn't need nearly as many prisons and nearly as much intense law enforcement and military against every possible threat because human beings would go, let's talk this through. Let's figure out where you're at. Are you really ready to move on from it? If you're not ready to move on from it, we do have to put you away for a while because you're dangerous. But on a day-to-day -day level, having the discipline to be a little more forgiving and to choose to focus on those things that, that uplift the other people. That's one of those things that if I saw that in a movie, that would make me weep because it's, oh yes, that's what I longed for. I longed to be in the company of people who allow that in me and in themselves. I think I've always been drawn to people's differences more so than I like white people, but normally I gravitate to people that don't look like me. And I've always had that in me. And I'm so grateful for that because even in this place of, I never really called myself a Christian. I was in that Christian circle. Like I really struggled with the concept of people being outsiders. And I'm like, but why do you want to talk to the converted? If the whole idea is to lead people to Jesus, don't you need to be in the warehouses or on the streets or other places and talking and being that light? Like it, like what's the fun in putting a protective bubble over yourself after you give yourself life to God? Because I thought that was supposed to change in you this desire from, well, life about me and operating the way I was instead making life about others. Like the way that I understood giving my life to the Lord was that now I get to be a vessel to be a blessing to others. That's yeah. how I, my brain associated the two. And so now like, I don't want to be around other people that think like me, talk like me, believe like me. You were talking about isolation. I felt isolated before because I was never really welcomed. The only church I was really welcomed into was 98% of the congregation was an ex-convict or a convict. So I was welcome there, but even then I made uncomfortable. Like now I feel more isolated than ever, but at the same time, I feel so free. Yeah, that's exactly it. And isolated, like, but free. Me. Like, I, yeah, I set myself free and now I get to go be me and let that play out as it is. And at the same time, my heart has never been on more fire. 
not to lead people to Jesus or help them be a Christian, but I want to play a role in helping set people free to get comfortable with their own truth and live the way they were supposed to. Because my God, it's one thing that people are afraid to go for their dreams and take a chance to start that business, to start that podcast, to start the media company, whatever it may be, start a church, whatever it is for them, start an art gallery. Yeah. That That's pretty tough. But then trying to get people just to be comfortable with the truth about who they are and to keep them from keeping secrets or even keeping other people's secrets because that can make you a slave too. So I'm, yeah, you nailed it about the truth part. Like that to me has been the answer for everything. And it's just brought so much peace. If anything, I'm not stressing out about what lie I told. <laughs> that itself is add 10 years to your life. I've had this gray hair since I was 20. <laughs> anyway, I just, I've, I'm so grateful for you. You're welcome back anytime. I know that you have a new app that you've released. And I, and I please plug that, let everyone know where they can download it, where they can buy it. And feel free to plug anything you want or even take the last words to, to rant, if you will. Floor doors. Thank you. I appreciate that. For years, I ran a meditation center. I lived in Chicago and I live now in Charleston, South Carolina. And I taught meditation. I didn't teach it as a religious practice. I taught it as a whatever you want to do with meditation, because I've always believed that meditation will connect you to your truth if you learn how to meditate, not just sitting and breathing deeply, but a big learning about yourself. So I developed an online course that took me a long time, it took me about a year with videos and readings and tests, like little quizzes and stuff. And it's free for 30 days, a 30 day trial. And then it's $18 a month subscription. So I think I had sent you the link if you want to share that with your, that would be great. It's not something that I'm making very much money off of, but I do believe that the, if you haven't meditated or haven't learned meditation, it's a relatively inexpensive way to do it. And you may discover what you were talking about where you start to, your consciousness begins to expand because you're putting attention on yourself and your ability to contemplate yourself and you become more aware of who you are. And therefore you become freer because you realize you're not this, but you are that, et cetera, et cetera. So that's the only thing that I'm interested in promoting other than what you were sharing, which is I hope that your viewers love truth and they will have the courage to seek it out and to speak it and to become examples of the value of truth, the respect that it affords your other human beings when you tell them the truth. It's very disrespectful to lie to people, I think. It's very right. disrespectful to try to cloak the truth to protect them against their own emotional experience. I don't think you should be beat up dog and just hammer people with unkind versions of the truth. It's a tact. Loving way to do it. You should be tactful, but if there's love in your heart, you can speak truth in a way that may be helpful to somebody. And if they sense that you care about them, maybe they'll go, man, that's hard to hear. But in the end, you're probably right. So I need to think about that. So I'm a big fan of that. But that's the only thing that I really want to promote is meditation. I have a course. Check it out. You are a true blessing. I am grateful for your time. And like I said, if you ever have anything you want to promote or talk about, you're welcome back anytime. Sounds good.